Now, there's just a special word I believe that God has put in my heart for you this morning. So I hope that you just tune in. I know there's a lot going on, but there's a lot in God's heart. And I don't know if you felt it this, this month as we've been going through the month of February. We've been talking about God's kind of love. If you've missed some of these messages, go back online and listen to them. Grab a hold of them. Hear what God is saying. We talked about, first of all, the God's kind of love. It's unconditional, unlimited, undeniable. And then we talked about the heart of the matter and our responsibility is our response. And we've also talked about God loving through us. So can you tell God's doing something? I don't know if you've been stirred in relationships, you've been stirred up in the presence of the Lord and you've just, you felt God kind of nudging you a little bit. God is up to something, so let him have his way in your life this morning, amen? Amen. Well, I just want to pray for just a moment. God, I thank you for your word that is powerful, that is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides asunder between soul and spirit. God, may your word come into our lives and to touch the places that you want to touch, that you want to heal, that you want to bring to life, God. Let your word enter our lives this morning in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about the lost sons and the compassionate father. You ever lost something? Now, um, anybody ever lost anything? It's okay, you can respond a little bit, so you're getting a little quiet on me. Um, Well, I lost something very precious. Well, I really actually didn't lose it. I know you've heard this story, but my husband actually lost something very precious to me. And um, it was my dear friend, Buford. And if you don't know Buford, you're going to meet him just a little bit uh, this morning, just a little taste of who he is. But um, something I've had for a very long time in my life, through and through ministry, just something so dear to me. He accidentally, uh, I had him in a suitcase, (laughs) and he accidentally um, threw the suitcase out. (laughs) And I didn't know it till lockdown. We were locked down in in March, and um, I was like, oh, I need to find Buford. And I couldn't find him anywhere. And I just was like flipping out. I came to the church. I'm like, maybe I took him to church. I was looking through every nook and cranny in my house, opened up every suitcase, everything in me. I was just like, what happened? So those of you who don't know, this is my dear puppet. I've used this puppet and ministered with this puppet to kids all over. And it was just something that it became like family. And I just, I don't even if I realized this until this happened. Like I literally, when I came to the church to look for him and I, I sat in my car after not finding him, like I can't go home and talk to him. He lost my dear friend. I was like, seriously, it was like, whoa, it's emotions in me. But I was like, I lost him. So what I did is after a little while of cooling off, not sure what to do, I, I created this. Will you put this slide up here? I created a Help Wanted. I literally did this. I put this on social media because I have a lot of friends out there who know this friend very well. Here's Buford, and I, but it's, you know, he's, he's on an unexpected journey. I was trying to be nice about it, and I didn't want to say my husband lost him. Um... <laughs> But I was like, he has a hole in his foot. This is how big he is. There's an imposter out there that looks just like him because I had people sending me pictures of, oh, there's a one that looks just like him. I'm like, no, he's only like 12 inches tall. This one's like 24, you know. But when you lose something important to you, there's something in you that drives you to go after it. I mean, I was online every single day trying to find it. Now, this is a, a puppet from 1992, so it's a vintage. So it's even harder to find. I found a website that said, oh, there's been like three sold in the last um, 
13 years. I'm like, I'm never going to find them again. My heart was just so longing because I just, this is just something special in ministry that I know is ministered to children. And so I went searching after this. And so I know some of you heard the story where we found, we found him and we were on vacation when he arrived at our house. And so I'm just still like, he's not in my hands yet. I don't have him like right here, not tangible yet. And so I'm, we're on our trip and I'm at midnight. I just go, oh, I forgot he was arriving today. And I had called up my neighbor that day and said, can you pick the package up off of my front porch? You know, all those things we see now, the package thieves and stuff. So I was a little like nervous. And so I look on our ring camera and lo and behold, there's this man who picks up the package and walks off. And I was like, I woke Jonathan up and I'm like, why did I lose? What is going on? I started crying. I'm like, what is wrong with me? So obviously I'm a little attached. Um, But what was amazing was he looked at a couple other cameras and he's like, that's our neighbor. He put it behind the fence. I was like, it was a different neighbor, not the neighbor I asked to pick him up. So I was, so, I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. We hurry home, and I, I get him. So I just want you to, I want to show you something real quick. Can you play that for us, Ben? There's this thing on. Oh, well, hello, everybody. Just thought I'd say hello. I'm back home. Yeah. Can't wait to see you soon. Yeah. Woo. Good to be home. <laughs> no place like home. Neil. Goodbye. See you later. So that's your first introduction. If you haven't met Buford, you can probably see why he's a little bit special to me. But there's no place like home church. There are lost sons out there, and I'll tell you what, the lost are coming home. And this is my heart, and what I want to share with you this morning. The lost are coming home. It's no coincidence that last night, or yesterday morning, actually, Pastor Sam called Jonathan and I, and not knowing what I was going to share today, and what a confirmation of the heart of God. He had a dream about some of my family members. He said, they're coming back on fire for Jesus. And I was like, I started crying. I'm like, you have no idea. I, I didn't share this with him. I didn't, God is speaking. God is wanting to do something. And I want you to tune in really sharply this morning. Because sometimes these stories and the, the Bible can become so familiar that we forget to listen and really hear what God is wanting to say and what he's wanting to do and grab hold of it. So the lost are coming home. There's no place like home. So let's turn to Luke chapter 15, if you would. We're going to have some, some stuff up here for you in just a moment. You can take, we're not going to get right into it just yet. But thank you, media team, you're amazing. So this can be a very familiar passage about the prodigal son, what we call the prodigal son. And I looked at the word prodigal, really means to just be wasteful, to abandon, a riotous living, wasteful. You pour it out, you empty it out. And I, I say lost sons in the story because there were two sons in this story. One may have been wasteful, but the other one was just as lost. And I want to touch a little bit on both of these sons this morning. You know, Jesus in Luke 15, he, we talk about the widow's mite that was lost and going after the lost sheep. And here he is going after the lost. And he was talking to the Pharisees because the Pharisees at this time had trouble receiving sinners. They had this, I want to do something, want you to do something for kind of a transactional kind of relationship. If I do this for you, you'll do this for me. But they weren't really willing to accept them as God wanted to save them. 
They weren't really willing to see them as lost. They just wanted something from them. But Jesus was like, I want you to see that this is important. The lost are important. So can God come and speak to you today and re replace upon you the compassion for the lost? The Pharisees saw sinners as dirty and unclean, and sometimes we as Christians can mark people. You know what I mean? We can put a little label on them, a stamp on, oh, they're just this person. That's, oh, they just went and did this. We put a label and a stamp on them, and we say, that's who they are, rather than they're lost. That's not who they are. This is who they need to be. And that's the way God sees us. So let's start in Luke 15, verse 11 through 16. Let's read this together. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them, his livelihood, to both sons, them. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there rose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. What is the lost state of people? But let me tell you this, the father in this story had so much compassion. Have you ever had your child mess up? No? Just me? Okay, great. We love them anyway. We may hate what they're doing. They hate the choices that they're making. But their choice is not who they are. That choice can change. Now this son said, Father, give me the portion that falls to me. And what this meant in cultural times was, I want you dead. Because typically you don't give an inheritance till somebody dies. I hope your child has not said that to you. I want you dead. I don't want you in my life. Maybe he's saying, I'm weary of your authority and your government. Maybe he's de- demanding what he believes is his. You're, you, this stuff belongs to me, Dad. Come on, give it to me. I want the blessing. But I want to use it my way. So what does he do? He takes it. The father says, here, you can have it. You're my son. You can have it. I'll give it to you. So he left for a faraway country. He went a distance away. You ever notice how people, when something's wrong, they start to distance themselves? <laughs> they kind of start to back away from relationship and connection. It's, it's pretty obvious. That's why a lot of people in church will start chasing after you a little harder. And like, oh, man, there's that person. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid them because they're going to hug me today. People start distancing themselves when something's going on. But he took everything that he had, everything the father gave him, and it said it only took him a few days to lose everything. What is it that you possess or that you have that you believe is going to bring you happiness? We heard that word this morning from air, happiness and joy. What is it that you possess that you believe is going to bring you happiness? 
Is it your job? Is it your 401k? You're working on what is it that you are attached to so deeply that you believe is going to bring you happiness and joy? Are you holding on to that instead of holding on to what God has and relationship with him? You know, throughout scripture, this isn't a new thing where people take what God has and they walk away from it. I was reading a story earlier this week in Jeremiah 32 where it talks about Jeremiah and God saying, he was in the prison house and God told him, Jeremiah, go buy a field. I want you to put the deed in a jar and keep it because this is what I want to do. He, said, he tells him, he says, the houses and the fields and the vineyards will be possessed again in this land. There's going to be a restoration And then he begins to rehearse and talk over with Jeremiah. He said, I brought these people out of the land of Egypt into a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is what it says here. It says, they came and they took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. And he further says, they turned their back on me and turned away from my face. How many times do we say, God, I want your blessing. I want what you have. I want the miracles and the power, but we're so quick to turn and walk away from his commandments and from his ways. Maybe it's because you want your own way. Maybe it's because you just want the blessing of God. Then he talks to Jeremiah and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to bring them into a little bit of calamity and a time of where they're gonna be, things are going to be taken away from them in destruction so that I will bring them into all that the good that I have promised them. God's heart, church, is to bring us into his promises and his goodness. He always has good things. It's like when I punish my kids or they, oh, I shouldn't well, punish maybe a hard word, but I, they get in trouble. There's consequences for their actions. Have they ever pulled the card on you? It's like, you don't love me. I said, well, I don't love your behavior, but I love you. That will never change. But this consequence right here is going to happen so that you will learn because there's good things for you. I don't know about you, but in our kids right now, I'm like, I feel like I'm just pulling them out of them. Come on, there's good things. God has good things. Don't act this way. That's not who you are. Young people, it's not who you are to act certain ways. And get involved in certain things. God has good things for you now. Don't miss it. You don't have to be the one that walks away and turns their back. Say, oh, I love to be in church because it feels so good. And then tomorrow I'm going to go and do. You don't have to live that way. See, God's inheritance is not just these tangible things. It's not just, you know, I used to think, oh, we think, we have think we've confused the American dream with God's inheritance (laughs) we kind of say oh life in the pursuit of happiness that's america that's not even in the that's not here right tell me if you find it in the scripture the inheritance the bible says in ephesians 1 8 it says understand let your understanding be enlightened to know the hope of your calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints in the saints. We've been, what are we talking about? God's love flowing through us. His inheritance means through and among and with the saints. This is our inheritance. People, you all belong to me. Sorry about that, but you're my family. I'm happy about that. You might soon be. Hallelujah. You're my inheritance. Thank you, Jesus. 
But sometimes in life, we can get so fixated on the problems, so fixated on the lifestyle of the ones that are lost that we no longer see that they're lost. We get so attentive to, oh, I can't believe they went and did this. I can't believe their lifestyle is now this. I can't. And then we, we stop. The compassion goes away. I had a friend in college, and her name was Heather. Her name is Heather. She's still alive. Let me say that again. And uh, I remember she had stopped coming to church, and I hadn't seen her for a long time, and we had, there was a couple different campuses, and I happened to be on the smaller one, and ran into her very randomly. And it had been probably a good year since I'd seen her. And we were in the little cafe, and I'm like, oh, can I have some coffee with you? Do you mind if I sit and talk to you? We just talked, ran into her a few more times. I was like, this is kind of fun. Didn't even think much of it, just thought, I was so glad to see her. Amazingly enough, one of the moments that I was talking to her, she looked at me, she says, can I ask you something? I was like, sure. She's like, why are you talking to me? No joke. And I was like, why shouldn't I talk to you? <laughs> I was like, I wasn't sure what to do at this moment. And she says, well, because I left the church. And I just about lost. I said, well, that doesn't matter. I still love you. She was looking for acceptance. She was looking for my response. How do I react, church? How do we react when people walk in this building who don't know Jesus? How do we respond to them? How do we demonstrate the love of God to them? Does your life draw them or repel them because of your attitude towards their sin? Remember, God loves them. He doesn't love what they do. Let's separate those. What's amazing about this friend is I had come up here. I think it was the time I actually came up here for a summer to live when I, Jonathan and I were dating. And I just wanted to see what Seattle was like and what it's like to be around him a little longer than just a distance dating. Uh, and when I came back to California and I was walking through the parking lot of my church, there was Heather. And I was like, what are you doing here? She's like, I gave my life back to Jesus. If we can just understand the part we play in bringing the lost home, every interaction, every word is important. And it breathes the love of God to them. So let God flow through you. So let's go back, Luke 15, 17 through 19. So remember the son is in destruction. He's in, he's in this house trying to even eat with the pigs. And even in that time, pigs were considered unclean and dirty. And he's, just, he's at the end of himself, the very end of himself. There's so many out there at the end of themselves and they don't know what to do. But this son in verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I'm perishing with hunger? I will arise, I'm going to go to my father, I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me just one of your hired servants, I'll take anything. You don't have to call me your son anymore. See, he understood what was in his father's house, that the, the whole family was well taken care of. He knew that in his father's house that he would never go hungry and he wanted just the lowest place back, but 
You know, isn't it just like the devil to tell us that we deserve where we're at? You made this choice, so now you have to live with it. Even when you come back into church and you're coming back to Jesus, he still wants you to live in a place of servitude. But God wants you to live in a place of sonship. Each of us have a place in God's family and his house, but most of us don't see ourselves that way. We look at ourselves as, I just want to be a servant. I'll just say, don't call me your son. I'm not worthy. But God says, you're a son. You're a daughter. You belong to him. So the people that are coming in the doors, they've already recognized that there's something wrong or there's something missing. And their hearts are open to repentance and to the turning because God is just after reconciliation in their hearts. In Luke 15, 20 through 21, it says, and he rose. So after he's had this conversation in your have you ever had that conversation in your head when you've done something wrong? You're like rehearsing what I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, now this is what I should say. Let me just make sure I got it. I, I, it's in my heart. I, okay, maybe I'm the only one. Okay, oh good. You guys, okay, you're with me, good. So he arose and he came to his father. But when his father, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I want you to see something here. That the father had compassion on him before he confessed. He showed him compassion and love. He didn't say, go clean up first. You smell like the pigs. Then we'll have a conversation. Let's see if you're really like... If this is really going to happen. No, he had compassion on him before. He saw him and he ran to him and said, my son is home. I'm going to love on him. This is what we need as a church. That compassion and that heart of Jesus. I'm going to ask somebody to come over. Jose, where are you? Where's my, Jose, where'd you go? Oh, there you are. Sorry, I'm just sitting over here. We switched things up. I told you I was going to... do a little something with you. I thought you think you just thought I was going to share something with you, but could you just come up here? I'm not going to have you say anything or do anything, but church, this, I want to demonstrate something to you this morning. This is big on my heart today. And I know that sometimes, again, this can be so familiar, but don't let this be familiar in your heart today. Because this, this young man right here, I'm so very proud of. Every conversation we've been having, my heart is so stirred, and I just feel like this is the right person for this part of this message today. In Luke chapter 15, it says this, but the father said to his servants when the son came home, he said, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for my son that was dead is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now, this young man has had his moments outside the house. But what God does, even though we say, God, I'm not worthy to be your son, this is how we're supposed to be to each and every one around us. He says, Jose, I'm going to give you my best robe. 
I'm going to put my best robe on you. This signifies his love and his righteousness. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and the bride adorns herself with jewels, this is how God sees you. When we're ready and we're saying, God, I'm sorry for the way I've been living. Please forgive me. Just give me a place back in your house. When we see ourselves one way, I, just as a servant, as a nobody, he still sees us as a son in his house. And then he says, I'm going to put a ring on your finger. No, I don't have a ring, man's ring. Sorry, I don't want you to, to put a girl's ring on you, but you get, a, you get one of these. I don't know if it'll fit, but it's, it's a candy ring. God's, God is sweet. <laughs> he puts a ring on our finger. It's a sign of his authority and now he can do the Father's business in the Father's name. Not only does he have his love and his salvation, but there's something else to be had. We now have his authority to do what God is asking us to do. And this young man, I'll tell you what, from where he was eight months ago is not where he is today. Because he had the ability to see, even though it was difficult for him to see, that he is a son of God's house. He is a son of this house, not only, but he is God's son, and God sees him this way. And even though sometimes he's like, I don't know if I deserve your authority, God, but you gave it to me anyway, because I belong to you. And then he gave him, a, you don't have to take your shoes off, because these are a little bit big, because these are my husband. But he gave him sandals for his feet. I know, these are like, you can see them. I wanted big, big shoes so you can see from that. I know my husband has really feet. But I gave him sandals. I know this is... We love you, Pastor Jonathan. He gave him sandals because you know what the signals are? Some of these things I didn't know before. I read over them. But you know, servants didn't wear shoes. Servants didn't wear shoes. So he said, you're not a servant, and I'm going to further demonstrate that. And I'm going to give you shoes to put on your feet because you're not a servant. You're a son. You can have a seat. You can keep this on if you feel like it, but everybody look over there and you'll see this around. Thank you, Jose. See, God wants us to remember we don't have to work to get back in good graces and get back to the sonship that we were intended to be. The Bible says in Romans 8, 5, Romans 5 verse 8, God commands his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Not after we come and receive him, but while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He died for you and me. He saw us in your, he saw, sees each of us in our current state and has compassion on us. He ran out to the son. I'm so glad you're home. I'm so glad you're here. We need to learn to be more compassionate like Jesus. I want to show you if you put up this next slide. Jesus had compassion in so many ways. In Matthew 14, 14, it says he has compassion on the sick. And what does he do? He heals them. In Matthew 15, 32, he had compassion for the hungry when they're out all day and he's teaching them and they're sitting there and they're hungry. 
He didn't just go, okay, now go see you later. He had compassion on even their hunger and he fed them. In Mark 6, 34, it says he had compassion for the lost sheep. He would look around and he'd say, oh, these are sheep without shepherd. Do you walk through our town and go, these are people who are lost and they're without a shepherd. They need you, Jesus. But he doesn't say, you don't just pray it out. He said, Jesus said, I'm going to pray for laborers and shepherds to go out to them. Will you have that same compassion? He had compassion for the blind. They would cry out to him, Jesus, will you just, will you give me sight? And he healed them and caused them to see. He had compassion on the unclean, those who no one will go near. You see the people on the street corners, most people are like, I'm going to look the other way. Do you ever do that in your car when you're driving past homeless or something? So you're just like, nope, didn't see that. Or are you trying to not make eye contact? What is that person that seems that unclean that you feel like you can't get near? What did Jesus do? He made them clean. He had compassion on the demon possessed. Maybe this one's even harder for you. Or maybe you don't believe it really can happen. You haven't seen it in a long time. But I'll tell you what, the demon possessed are coming in the house to be set free. When he cast out a demon in Mark 9, 2, it says after he cast him out, he reached out his hand and he lifted them up. Who are you reaching your hand out to? Church, this isn't just Jesus. This is we are to be like Jesus. He was the son of God. Just like we're a son and daughter of God. We need to be just like this and have that compassion. So let's go quickly to the next part. Is the second lost son. I promise I won't keep you too much longer. The second lost son is the older son in this house. Luke 15, 25 through 32 says, Now his older son was in the field. And as the day came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked these, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son of yours came home, who he devoured the livelihood, the harlots, and killed the fat, you've killed the fat calf for him. Remember how we can label people and say, oh, look what they did, and not realize that they were lost. He said to him, son, you were always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the heart of this church. I know sometimes we look at this, it's, it's old. It's been here, it's all stained glasses out, so 80s. You know, we have phrases we have, but this is the heart where this church was birthed in. The lost coming home. But God wants to make us ready for these moments for the lost to come home. We don't want to get caught in the comparing. God, you're doing that for this guy, and you're doing it for this guy over here, but what about me? When you get caught in comparing, you're going to be so self-absorbed that you can't see the lost. You can be a son in God's house, and you can still be lost and wasteful and living like a prodigal. Because see, God doesn't want to, he wants us to have a relationship. He doesn't want us to just be a tr- what we call transactional Christianity. Ever heard that before? 
where, God, I, I serve you, so therefore you should bless me. You, I do this over here for you. Why didn't you take notice of me over here? This is not who God is. God wants relationship with us. He doesn't, the younger son even just wanted a transaction. God, give me my inheritance so I can do what I want with it. There's a quote from A.W. Tozer that says this. He says, the whole transaction of religious conversion has been made mechanical and spiritless. Faith may now be exercised without a jar to the moral life and without embarrassment to the Adamic ego. Christ may be received without creating any special love for him in the spirit of the receiver. The man is saved, but he is not hungry or thirsty for God. In fact, he's specifically taught to be satisfied and encouraged to be content with little. This is what American Christianity has made relationship with you. This is not relationship. This is just a transaction. This is something that happens. But when we see true transformation right here at this altar, and we see lives changed, that is relationship. It's because it comes out of because what they see in you is relationship. They're going to see it in you and the relationship you have with God first. You know, I had God chase me down while well, I've been a Christian pretty much my entire life. Had some moments. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Have things I've gone through. But I love that God in this story came after the son. He came out of the house. The Bible says he came out. Of, okay, I'm skipping ahead of myself. Let me go back to the story. Sorry. I like to jump ahead. I'm excited. I had God tell me one time in a dream when I was in another encounter in college. It was big, big years for my life, I guess. Maybe I was a lot of trouble in college. I don't know. Uh, I had a dream. Scared me half to death. It was one of those, and it just it seemed so simple. And he's, I was, I was in the dream, and it, I was telling the Lord, well, God, I've, I've, I go and do this for you, and I, I'm doing this, and it's not a bad thing. I was just like, but God, I do all, look at these things I do for you. I wasn't just being prideful. I just was trying to have a conversation. He says, Carolyn, depart from me. I don't know you. And it wasn't an angry, I don't know you. It wasn't an angry, depart from me. He was just trying to say, I woke up a little fearful. I don't know about you, but that was kind of like, well, wait a second. Wait, 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 you're saying depart from me. I don't want to leave you. Don't leave me. Wait a second. It was a wake-up call because I was living just in, a regular, just in a regular cadence. I got comfortable with where I was at. I wasn't continuing to relate to him and talk to him on the, in the way that I should. You know how we can talk to God and at God without listening? I've been trying to teach my kids this. We actually did a lesson in kids' church the other week, and I said, how many of you can hear God's voice? And they were like, I don't know, not sure. And so I was trying to demonstrate to them when you're just telling somebody, talking to them, God, thank you for your day. Thank you for your faithfulness. I'm so glad you're here, and bless my day. And, and uh, you know how we can do that? God doesn't just want that transaction of you just saying stuff. He wants to talk back to you and you to hear what he's saying. So I was hearing what God was saying, okay, God, I don't want to live like this. I don't want you to say to me, I don't know you. I want to know you. Obviously, there's something wrong, but this doesn't have to be a bad thing in our lives. God can stir us that I need to know you, Jesus. I need to know that I know that I know you. And you know what? I, I get less tired that way when I'm ministering to people. Because when I'm just in the doing, I... I get so worn out. I get frustrated. I can't carry things the way I should. 
Because God wants us to be with him. You don't, get really, you don't really get worn out if you're just being, being with him, being in relationship with him. So in verse 28, in Luke it says, but he was hungry and he would not go, oh sorry, he was hungry, huh, must be hungry now, it's getting lunchtime. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. I love, and this is what I was about to share a minute ago, is God came out and ran towards the younger son, but he also came out to meet the older son. You're just as important. You're just as important. He wants to nudge you. He wants to spur you on in relationship. He wants that connection with you so that when you're around people, you can hear him say, hey, that person needs healing, release it. You can't hear that if you're just worried about the little things that you need to do. And in this, in this word pleaded, I was so surprised. I think the word God is just so precious and surprises me sometimes. This word pleaded is also talked about as an entreated, and it means to call to one side for a purpose. And that word, com- word comes to the word parakleo. Do you know what that is? The Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit come alongside us? and say, I want to speak to you. He pleads with his son. I want to show you. I have a purpose. I want to admonish you and exhort you and teach you. But how many times, like the older son would say, I'm not going in the house. I don't want this. Your speak, God is speaking, yet we go, I'm not sure I want that. Are we responsive to what God is speaking to our lives? Can he touch it in your heart? See, the elder brother, this, this reveals something in him that he had pride haven't I served you all these years? Where's the party for me? He was self-righteous. I've never transgressed against your commandments. He had selfishness. Where's my goat? He had accusation against his brother. You honor this worthless, wasteful son, and yet you won't honor me? When I was in youth group as a young person trying to find my way, I remember three guys come into our youth group and give testimonies. And the first one spent about 15, 20 minutes sharing how lost he was, how devastating his life was on drugs and alcohol and all this intense behavior. I was just like, oh man, this is messy. But he spent all this time sharing. And the very end, he says, and then I gave my life to Jesus. Then the second man stands up and says, well, I was a Christian. And then I walked away from the Lord and he spent this time telling us all about the sin that he had encountered and walking away from Jesus. And then he gave his life back to Christ. And then the third guy gets up and in about two minutes says, I've been a Christian my entire life. And I, as a young person said, wait a second. I've been a Christian my whole life too, but that looks really boring. Because of how he shared it, it wasn't his intent. But as a young person, I, all I thought was, do I need to go out and sin? Do I need to go out and do these behaviors and have these so that I can have a testimony? I'm like this older son. Do I need to go do this so you throw me a party? We just, we want God's acceptance, but we don't realize we already have it. We are already a son and a daughter in his house. We already have the robe. We already have the ring, but we're not accustomed to walking in that assumption. We would rather be in servitude. And that's where Satan wants to keep you, church, is in servitude. 
to your pride and your selfishness. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to step out and live with the authority and the sonship and the love of Christ towards other people. Because when you know whose you are, when you know who you belong to, you can give it to somebody else. You no longer see yourself. You see him, and you see that person how God sees them. Where's the compassion? He says, son. He says to Elijah, son, you were always with me. All that I have is yours. It's right that we need to be happy for the lost, but you've lost it. You no longer see them as lost. You only see yourself. It's time, church, for the lost to come home. It's time God wants to set the oppressed free. We need to be hearing his spirit. If you're lost this morning and you're just coming back, we welcome you back with open arms. God wants you in his family. You don't have to walk through the 10-step program to be set free. If you're dealing with pornography, if you're dealing with things in your, in your life, addictions, it doesn't have to take years. The moment he takes his robe and puts it on you, that's when you have the power to be set free, that salvation, that covering. We have to see each other that way. When someone messes up in this house, we're not going to go around pointing fingers, oh, look at them. Oh, maybe it'll stick this time. I know some of us have said that before. Maybe it'll happen this time. Maybe. Well, let's, well, let's see. Let's see if they stay. No! Let's begin to see each other as the healed of the Lord. Those walking. Where's the hope then? If we can't hope for our brothers and sisters, my goodness, what are we doing here? I want to see God with your eyes. I want to see with your compassion how you see them in a different state than where they're standing right now. Will you stand with me? Let's put that last slide up there, please. The lost are coming home. The Father is reaching out. He's saying, I see you in your dirty, washed up, no good state. Whether you've been in this house this, for a long time, whether you've walked away from it and you're coming back, whether you've never known Jesus before, here he is with open arms saying, I receive you. Some of you have trouble receiving the Father's love because you have a, what we call a father wound. You can't receive because of what naturally has happened to you, but that's not who God is. So are you lost? Are you, have you walked away? Have you only been living in that transactional, God, what can, I, can you do for me? God doesn't want that from you. He wants to relate to you. He wants you to hear him. He wants that interaction. Because then he can flow through you. That's what we talked about last week. God, let your love flow through me. And when you do things in love and you see people in love, you're going to see them and be able to call out who they really are. See, God has such amazing vision. <laughs> he can look at your heart and he can send somebody right then and there and say, I see what's in your heart. I see who you really are. You don't need to live this way. You don't need to be stuck in the places that you're stuck in. Doesn't mean you're perfect all the time. It just means you're vulnerable. Say, God, I open myself to you.
I'm willing to do anything. I just want to be your child again in your house. Church, I know this is kind of a heavy message. But God wants to put his robe back on you so that you know you are a son and a daughter in his house. He wants to put his ring on your finger to know that you have the authority to, to be about his business. He wants to put shoes on your feet so that you understand, you know, that every step you take, every moment that you take a step each day, that you are his child and that you belong to him. Would you just lift your hands for just a moment? Let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to us. The Father came out and pleaded. Don't make God plead with you. Just hear him for a moment. God, I want to hear you voice this morning. Father, we want to respond to you. You love us so deeply. Just, just take a moment, let him speak to you, church. There's a place and a time, the time is now. The time is now for you to respond. If you've walked away from the Lord, I want to give that opportunity. If you've walked away, you've turned your back, I said, just turn around and come back. If that's you and you say, yes, pastor, I want to come back. I've not been living right. I want to come back to Jesus. I want to take a minute. If that's you this morning, I ask that you just come forward. 